This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. Maybe you're listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. <laughs> my name's Bron Burton. When you're ready, gents. Uh, my name's Dr. Beach. And I'm Dr. Surf. How are you? I'm grumpy. Oh, why? <laughs> because I wanted to turn right when I got to the end of my street, not left. Oh, this is... Oh, oh right. What, the that detour means the here? surf's good. Well, you so I've given you the surf report. Don't listen to us. Go down to the beaches. You're um, you're very. Uh, we're very grateful that you're here. <laughs> it is Sunday, and I have vowed not to surf Sundays anymore. Well, there you go. That'll last about two weeks. Hey, while we're talking about detours, we could do a community service announcement at the end of Nicholson Street on the corner of Nicholson and Blythe Street. There's a fair amount of. Um, you know, big boys, Tonka toys getting busy digging up the road. That's what I thought you were talking about, Dr. Surf. Well, you yeah, turned I did right too. instead of left when I. No, no, no. It's, a, it's an old standard. When I, a good day for me is when I get to the end of my street and turn right. Because it's not going to work. If you're in the Brunswick area and you want to bring your kids to see some some big diggers doing heavy machinery, it's a, it's a good place to be today. Hey, thank you very much, Tim Thorpe, for Vital Bits. Continuing our musical educational journey. Sometimes on a Sunday morning I get up at 8 o'clock to come here and I think, I'd just rather stay in bed. I love doing this. And then the thing that gets me out of bed is the thought of Tim Thorpe doing this every Saturday, Uh, every Sunday, but not at 9 o'clock. At 6 o'clock he clocks on and goes till 9 o'clock delivering beautiful music for us Mm. and his lovely 
dulcet tones. Indeed. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim, from the depths of our oh-so-shallow hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go through today's program. Is he gone? I can't see what's going on behind me. No, no, there he is. Oh, there he is. (laughs) Kent's laughing. I'm thinking, what's he doing? What's he doing out there? Today's program, Dr Beach, we've got some news um, from the world of marine science in a segment that we have come to know as Life's a Beach. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to talk about the first endothermic fish. Cool. So this is a warm-blooded fish called Hmm. Opar. And I'll tell you about that when I tell you about it. Grand. It's fun, though. I've got some news as well. And an interesting piece uh, that's been picked up in today's age, also from the world of science, but we might talk about that in just a sec. Uh, We have Terry Allen coming in. She is our Radio Marinara dive reporter. She's going to do a dive report. She's also going to be talking about some diving that she's been doing recently. In fact, between when she was in last time and this time, she's been in the US diving in uh, the waters off North Carolina. Mm-hmm. where it has been warm and she's been doing some pretty cool wreck dives. I've seen some of the photos posted up on social media and diving with sharks in the US. Nice one. Yeah, I want to know how they differ to diving with sharks here. I'm assuming it's quite a similar experience. So she's all in one piece? Yes. And then Dr Surf. I'm doing, as usual, something that's about three to four months out of date. <laughs> Should have done it in uh, March. You're busy surfing. Yeah. Um, no, I'm doing a wetsuit review because it can be a bit confusing for people who don't know. It's confusing for me. Honestly, I would have tried on the last two weeks, I would have tried on about seven or eight different suits, all in the name of um, of research R&D. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's exhausting. I had uh, a morning where I tried, in six, tried on six suits and then I had to go home and have a nap. <laughs> They're bloody hard to get in and out of. <laughs> Maybe you should have got a bigger size. It's like it's better. Look, forget this yoga, (laughs) Doctor Beach. Just come down, (laughs) come down to the beach and try on a few wetsuits, particularly the ones with no zips. Trying to get in and out of them is look. I'm I'm getting these wonderful images of you (laughs) playing Twister and some. Well, it's it's, it's, change room. It's ridiculous. No, no, I'm down at Triggers, and all the boys there and there are going, "Now try this one. This is the best. Try this one. This is the best." And they're throwing them in there and then cacking themselves laughing, (laughs) and. Um, so I thought, well, obviously everyone's got their own opinion of what's the best wetsuit, and I'm going to be talking winter wetsuits, three mm-hmm. fours, four threes, which is a four mil body, three mil arms. Oh yeah. And I'll just give a little bit of info to the the novices out there what to look for. Wow, four mil seems because you can pay between six and eight hundred dollars for a winter wetsuit. It's not small change anymore. Mm. It's very expensive. It's more expensive than a board, which is. That's a, a new paradigm. Mm. That's my new phrase for the month. <laughs> We're going to do some weather. I just realised. Thank you very much, Tim Thorpe, for coming to our rescue because I realised I didn't have the paper here. Then we're going to do a little bit of news. Oh, beautiful day today. And if you're driving down the east and freeway, there's a big balloon that's come down right near the freeway. Oh, really? Yeah. Not deliberately. No, no, no. In Yarra Bend Park. Okay. But that's an indication that the winds are very light. Yes. Everyone okay? Oh, yeah, they look like they're having a grand old time. They look like they were drinking champagne. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> People on the freeway were slowing down and having a good old gander. Jumping out, grabbing mm. a glass, joining them. 17 we're heading for today, mostly sunny, partly cloudy. Uh, tomorrow, 16, possible late rain. And then uh, actually interesting rain for the rest of the week and hovering around the mid-teens. So uh, today's definitely the pick out of the next six or seven. 
the Thai Times. We are for Port Phillip Heads. Uh, we are, sorry, I'm trying to process this, heading for a high tide at 9.30 this morning and then a low tide at about 2.30 this afternoon. Do you want to do a quick surf report while you're here, Dr. Yeah, it's good. All right, that, that'll be that then. Go to the beaches. It's been fantastic, as I said a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Just wonderful. Great. But, yeah, there's good surf. It's going to be small all week, though, until about Wednesday, Thursday. I think there's a new swell coming in. So go to the beaches, there's a bit of east in the wind, so you're probably going to be better off going to the peninsula or the island. That's You concur with uh, with Swellnet here. That's One where I got it from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the Delphi Oracle. <laughs> You've given it away. We thought you were. We've got time for a bit of news. But, but before we go any further, talking about swells and predicting surf, I really enjoyed that piece that, I don't know, when did we do it? Two weeks ago? Four weeks ago? Two weeks. I Two weeks. You're telling us about the origins of mm. predicting swells. That was, and fetch, was. what was it again? It's fetch, wind speed, and there was a third one, which I couldn't remember. The Duration. Duration. That's how long the wind blows over a particular period, uh, particular area of water and in what direction. And the fetch is the distance and of it's water it blows over. Yeah, it's classic physics. Right. The wind blows the little molecules and they bang into each other and they bang into more and they bang into more and then they, over, as they progress through the water, they line up. I failed first year physics. So did I. But I got that bit. We've got time for a bit of news. I'm going to bring you back on track here. All right, news. Well, I'm going, there's um, an environmental and marine careers expo coming up at the Melbourne Aquarium on Wednesday the 24th of June. This seems to be more directed at, at school kids and you can sign up as a school group. But anyway, there are many, many people presenting there, lots of exhibitors. Um, it does cost to get in. It's about $25, but that's the normal admission entry for the aquarium. So presumably you can go in and check out everything while you're listening to these exhibitors. And the exhibitors are, oh, we've got Marine Special Interest Groups, Federation University, EPA Victoria, Earth Care St Kilda, Ocean Youth, Polpero Dolphin Swims. Oh, cool. Sea Life Melbourne Aquarium, of course. Uh, the Tongariro Blue Foundation and all various universities, zoos, Victoria. Uh, not only careers, but also opportunities for volunteering. So people, particularly young undergraduates who are interested in building their CVs and volunteering, it would be a good idea to go along to this. It's so, again, that's on Wednesday the 24th of June, the week after next. And I guess contact, um, yeah, bookings at melbourneaquarium.com. Good one. I've got a quickie. Go for it. I've actually found documented evidence that the sea level is rising. Ah. It's rising faster than we thought. I won't go into details, but if anyone's interested, there's, this is an article by doctors Christopher Watson, John Church and Matt King. Christopher Watson's from uh, University of Tasmania. Uh, John Church from Syro, Matt King from University of Tasmania, and, and they've gone through the data and found that the sea levels are indeed rising very fast. And it's a bit concerning. Is this a global thing, or is it in some areas more than others? Um, No, it's global. Okay. And they estimate, and this concurs with other studies, that by 2100, the sea level will have risen by 98 centimetres. Wow. From now? From now, if uh, the... the uh, greenhouse gas emissions are allowed to continue unabated. If the uh, world makes strong cuts to greenhouse gas emissions, the rise by 2100 will be between 28 and 61 centimetres. So, thank Christ we're pulling down. You know, we're not going to put any more wind turbines. I pump. You know, oh, 
That is cynical, of course. I just can't believe the dialogue that's gone down this Noisy record. and ugly. Oh, Unhealthy. Jo- They're jo- bad for our health. Yeah. Although Joe Hockey I still haven't worked out how, unless you're up there getting smashed by them. My pulse is going up just thinking about this. There's a, uh, there's a great meme that's doing the round on social media at the moment with this little wind turbine sort of sitting in the background with this massive big open cut coal mine sitting in the foreground. Yeah, that's right. Saying, oh, look how ugly it's power the wind lines, turbine. You know, like power lines. How many power lines have we got around the place? Yes. Wind turbines. I, I don't know. What is it? Just Am I biased? But It's a matter of perspective. I, I find them beautiful you've things. Seen the, you've seen the ones in Europe, those huge farms out to sea. They're damn sexy. Hmm. <laughs> oh, nice Dr. Beach, I like That's it. a good term. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I, I do have um, some sympathy for people who maybe do get affected by the noise created by them. We're talking on an individual level. I understand that. I'm just going to put that out there too. But I'm, I concur with you. They're you're, great. you're so full of, full of balance, Dr. Burn. <laughs> one, one of us has to be, Dr. Beach. <laughs> Let's talk about warm-blooded fish. Let's do that. Okay, so do they exist? Uh, well, is this thing real? Is this thing real? There was a bit of media about this, but I thought, you know, let's talk about this in a little bit more detail. This is a fish called the opah, O-P-A-H. It's about the size of a car tyre. It looks really cute. It's also known as the moonfish. So it's this silver thing which is pretty at the shape of a car tyre. It's about that round, about that size. It's silver. And he's got these cute bright red flap, um, pectoral fins, I was about to say flaps, pectoral fins, which it flaps lots. And it turns out this is one of the keys to it being warm-blooded. When I say warm-blooded, it can keep its temperature above that of the ambient surroundings so that you know, the water that it's in by about three, four, five degrees. So it constantly maintains its body temperature at around five degrees. So let's step back a bit. Most things which live in the aquatic environment, whether that be the sea or freshwater, particularly the reptiles, the fish, and also the amphibians, are what we call ectothermic. So they don't really change their body temperature. They maintain, they, it's the same temperature as their surrounds, yes, whereas so we are endotherms, so mammals, and even the mammals that live in the ocean, the cetaceans, the dolphins, the whales, we maintain a pretty constant body temperature by having things like fat around the outside and lots of insulation and also some pretty cool tricks with our circulation. So dissecting those words, ecto meaning outside, thermic meaning heat, so they, their heat basically comes from their surroundings. Endothermic, endo inside. We generate we our We generate heat. our own. Yep. 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 So it was assumed that all fish are ectothermic. You know, we make a lot of assumptions. But there was this one fish which is called the opah, as I said, this moonfish, which is pretty active at depths. So it lives at around 50 metres to 200 metres, so it's quite a way down, off the coast of Australia, the United States, all around the Pacific. Um, it's a prized food fish as well, but I should say here it's, it's actually not in danger. Apparently numbers <coughs> even appear to be going up. And this guy is particularly successful at these depths, chasing around the other organisms which live down there, like squid and stuff, because it can move quickly. And it can move quickly because it maintains this higher body temperature. So if you've got a higher body temperature, then things like your eyes can work better. So you've got warm blood going through your eyes so they can contract and dilate quicker. They can, you know, you can do stuff better. You can move quicker. All these things give you a big advantage as a predator in the depths over the normally sluggish things which are down there. 
So how do they do this? Mm. So these guys, um, where were they from? Somewhere in the United States. Um, they dissected the gills and had a look at the gills. And there's this particular exchange. It's called countercurrent exchange, which you can you can see in a a car radiator. I think is the best way of explaining it, where you've got pipes which are running against one another and moving the liquid or whatever it is in there or the gases in opposite direction so that you are always maintaining a gradient between one of the pipes and the other one so that you're always exchanging warm blood in this temp in this case so temp you know higher temperature down to a lower temperature so that's what happens in a car radiator and so too they've discovered in this fish the opa that in the gills, you've got a whole lot of blood vessels which are doing the important oxygen exchange, you know, the gas exchange, getting rid of carbon dioxide, bringing in the oxygen from the water. But these are also exchanging heat mm. from the blood. So you've got warm blood which is leaving from the core of the animal, and this is coming towards the surface. It needs to pick up oxygen. And it's the heating gills, up the cool blood. And that's heating up the cool blood which is coming back from the outside mm. from the external, you know, the exterior of the animal, you know, near the surface, all those capillaries near the surface, and all this is happening in the gills. But it's moving this back down into the heart and all the important organs of the fish, and at the same time, the fish has got nice fatty deposits around the heart and just below the surface of the skin, and in concert with it, having these cute little flaps, these, you can imagine these bright red flaps on the side of this silver car tire thing beating constantly then this enables the blood to be moving quicker. Mm. So you're doing this exchange a lot more rapidly and thereby maintaining this you know, this body temperature of around 5 or 6 degrees. So we're talking about 5 degrees. That's pretty cold water. Oh, you might have mentioned at the start, where do these fish Oh, pretty deep, reside? between 30, 40, up to 50 metres, down, oh, to okay. about, down to about 200 metres. So it's a depth thing rather than a location thing? They're not, like, in the Arctic Circle or anything oh, no, like no, that? No, 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 it's a depth thing. But interestingly, there's another species of this opar, which is living in higher latitudes, mm. so in colder waters, which the same people that discovered this want to go and check them out and see if this is doing it, like, in spades, if it's, you know, ramp this up. So this is pretty... It's, it's big news mm. because we had this assumption as biologists, scientists, all of us make, you know, we see a few different examples of something and think, OK, that's the, that's the norm... But then you've got this fish, which is a very active predator at depths. And people didn't know that, actually. They, don't now, they now know, now that they've dragged one up and had a look at the gills and figured out, oh, hang on, what's happening here? Now they've gone down and they've put video cameras down there and they've seen this guy acting a lot more, you know, rapidly. It's much more an efficient predator than one might have thought. Is this the only warm-blooded fish discovered to date? So far, this is why they got a publication in Science oh. a couple of weeks ago. And so but it's likely they'll find others, do you think? Um, well, now that... I mean, yeah, it's, once somebody finds one thing, then, you know, other people get jump on the bandwagon and try and <laughs> you know, get replicate. another cool paper, replicate because I can remember find more examples of it. In the distant past when I was at university and dinosaurs were all considered to be cold-blooded until... I thought you were going to say when dinosaurs were walking around when you, when you were at university. No. <laughs> no, not quite. Henry Bolte was around and he was a bit of a dinosaur, but um, they were always considered to be cold-blooded, but then they 
cha- the paradigm, I hate that word, changed because they found evidence that there were warm-blooded dinosaurs and they obviously exist because if you go and see Jurassic Park, there they are. They're racing around, chomping on things. So I'm just wondering if it's a similar situation here. They, they found one warm-blooded fish and they know what to look for. Maybe they'll find a whole lot more. That's true. They, they probably will. They'll go out. They being, you know, the scientific Clever people community. that can get papers in science. <laughs> that's right, and get funding to go to mm. exotic places in the world and because it makes sense really doesn't it if you're living in a very cold environment and you all of a sudden through the the ravage or the the mysteries of mutation that one the beauty of evolution i was about evolution in in action you get this wonderful advantage you're much faster than everything else obviously that gene's going to get passed on preferentially that's right so if there's a mutation in one of the ancestors of the the opa which sort of you know twisted its blood vessels around a little bit Mm. so if that was held in the, you know, if you still had that mutation, that change in a baby of these guys, then that's going to enable it to make more babies. Hmm. So the next question for me is that they've identified this fish and Dr Surf's sort of saying, yes, of course, the next step is to look for more. What's the next step in terms of science and following the scientific method? Do you kind of look at it phylogenetically and go, right, what's the next related species? Do you look within the same... Um, family order, like what? What would be your if you were in? in if this I was field, doing this, I would do that. Next? Yeah, but also they, as I mentioned before, they know that there is one very close to related species which lives in higher latitudes. So to go and see if this has exploited this feature even more, or has kind of you know changed so that it's got bigger blood vessels, so it's, it's exchanging the heat a lot better. Yeah, I would do a phylogenetic analysis. Well. No, you'd, you'd look at closely related species and see what's happening there mm. and then look perhaps at other individuals who are swimming around a lot more actively than you might think they should at depths in colder areas and then drag one of those poor unsuspecting fish out of its environment and cut it up and have a look at its gills and see if it's doing the same thing. Have they actually measured the core body temperature? Yep. So yeah. they did that. And it is, I might have missed this, sorry, how much higher... Four or five degrees okay. higher than the ambient surrounds, hmm. or you know, than the the water that it's swimming in. Thanks, Doctor Beach. That's a pleasure. That's pretty cool. I did see this. No, it's not. <laughs> it's warm. It's, it's warm. pretty warm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I like the car radiator analogy. That's yeah. the best thing I can come up with. No, I think it. that's a very good analogy. And it has that's been exactly used what by it is. And I thought there might have been more oh, obviously there's more to it. You kind of see sometimes you see these headlines and go, Oh yeah, there's there's more to this. Actually there's another one. I wonder whether we do it now or whether we No, let's do it now. It was something that um I saw on my way home from work on the on the front cover of MX. I'm gonna miss MX. You know MX has been is axed. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Well, because everyone looks at their phones on the yeah, I know. On the train, the tram. Anyway, the, the, the headline caught my attention. Vile creatures, sea urchins inspire new vaccine protection. And, you know, in typical MX style, I thought, oh, this will be like, you know, a goldfish ate my Doberman or something like that. But it was actually, I read into it and I thought, okay, there's a real story here. This is really interesting. And um, it's uh, something that's been published in Nature Communications. It's some work being led by CSIRO uh, uh, and... It's now been covered in today's age. And I'm going to throw to you, Dr Beach, because you've got the age story in front of you because it goes into a bit more detail than what's in, what was in the MX a week ago. Yeah, these guys from CSIRO. So they're, they're trying to um, use nanotechnology to protect vaccines. When vaccines go into a body, then they can be... They're often made of really fragile things like antibodies, which are proteins, and they can be 
denatured by all sorts of stuff. So you've got to protect them until they can get to the place where they're going to do their, their job or work. Mm. They're looking at sea urchins. So the test of a sea urchin is a very intricate, protective environment for the inside of the sea urchin. So they're looking at those and they're so not saying how in detail they're doing it, but they're, but they're, they're taking that technology which the sea urchin has evolved over you know, a very long time to build skeletons to put around the vaccines, nanoskeletons, which will be made of... I don't know, they don't say what the nanoskeletons are being made of here. I think it's a... Yeah. They're not copper nanotubes. Are they in Melbourne, this group? Yeah, yeah. The CSIRO. Oh, they've, used oh, a uh, they've used a synchrotron. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So it's pretty cool because what they've done is basically looked at, at something that, that has been produced just in nature. You've got this organism with all sorts of vulnerable, soft, squishy parts and it's produced its own very, uh, you know, hard, resilient exoskeleton in the form of the test that is yeah. known as a test. Um, and then all the um, spines and, and other bits and pieces poke through it. So they've basically used that... Uh, idea to protect these vaccines. And the, the issue with the vaccines is that they're used in developing nations. Often it takes a long time to get them there. Then it's, the heat is a really big issue. So they've actually replicated this idea and uh, now they're just looking for a commercial partner to, to get it going because right. they've shown that it actually works. And as this guy says, copying ideas from nature isn't new, but this is the first time we're applying the sea urchin concept. It's very cool. Quick surf report, Dr Surf. No, I've already done it. Okay. It's good go down. <laughs> All right. Somebody just rang in too about sharks keeping their, um, their body temperature up a little bit. It has been known that there are cases of endothermia in specific organs. So, for example, sharks do indeed keep their eyes warmer. And there's another example too. I forget what it was. But, um, yeah, thanks to that person for bringing up. Hey, while we're also talking about animals, sea animals doing really cool things, there was a piece uh, that was covered um, in The Age about a week ago, Friday, June 5th, which was World Environment Day. It was featuring um, a bit of footage. Obviously, there were just some stills, but from footage uh, that was collected by Julian Finn from Museum Victoria, who's, um, who's a good friend of Rodeo Marinara. He shot it between 1999 and 2008 off the coasts of uh, northern Sulawesi and Bali. But it's um, footage of octop octopuses, octopi. Have, octopi. We ever, have we ever resolved that one? I, I reckon it's about octopuses. I reckon octopi is a bit precious. It's, it's like going and talking about the fora as opposed to the forums. So one is technically right, but we kind of use the other one. Yeah, we've done Latin. <laughs> you guys really are the Waldorf and Statler of Radio Marinara when we come to discussions like this. I've, I've been I did Latin school. for five years and it's octopi. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Are you anyway. not speaking English? You're not speaking Latin. You're speaking English now. <laughs> You're just proving my point. Um, these octopuses slash octopi using coconut shells as hideaways. I thought you were going to say cocaine. Very cool. So they, uh, what they do is they, they pull the uh, coconut shells out of the sand and they stack the halves and then manoeuvre themselves so that their body's actually in their centre and then their arms spill over. Then they stiffen up their arms and walk away. It's so ultra, ultra cool. So we're going to put a link to that footage on our Facebook page so you can see it for yourself. It's pretty awesome. And I'm just going to make one quick... I forgot in the news the whales have started. So if you're down at the coast, have a look. You'll, you might be lucky and see a few. There's been some sightings of the killer whale pod around Gunnamatta. So if you're really lucky, lucky you get to see the killer whale family. Mm. Hey, uh, if you're also really lucky, you might get to see um, the spider crabs doing their thing. 
Good morning, Ter- Terry Allen. <laughs> Hi, Bron. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good, good. Well, welcome back. Thank you very much. I kind of use that as a little kind of, you know, bridge to you. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> very nice segue. <laughs> Until I made it all clunky by referring to it. <laughs> welcome back. You've been, uh, you've been overseas diving in the US. Yeah, I certainly have. And um, I just had a look at the bay temperatures this morning and uh, I saw it was 12.3 degrees in the bay. I thought, hmm, now I know why I was away for three weeks. So, Do you want to talk about yeah. the spider crabs to start with? Yeah, we might talk about spider crabs. So because the temperature's now dropped, the spider crabs are coming in and there's been a good report, about five or 600 um, just off uh, Blairgarry Marina, just to the right. But people are saying that they're probably travelling and heading towards Rye. So if you're a diver or even a snorkeler or just go for a walk on the pier there's a chance uh, of seeing them and sometimes we get thousands of them they're absolutely magnificent so you can see them from if you're walking along the pier yeah i mean if they're out over the sand um you know which it can be really clear at, at rye um there is a chance of seeing them when one year there was an oh it would have been 15 20 meters wide an enormous uh, pyramid of them mm. yeah so and certainly if you don a mask and snorkel and jump off the pier then you will see them yeah yeah you definitely will yeah I do that yeah well just if there's a facebook site called um spider crabs melbourne and people put their reports up every day so we sort of track them and know you know when to head they're definitely at blair gary now and hopefully they'll be at rise soon is that usually where they go yeah we tend to see them more they seem to go towards into the bay and they really like rye pier um they tend to sort of chomp all the sponge and bryozoans and everything off the pylons and uh, then they they uh, molt and leave all their you know molts behind and yeah yeah do, do we know where they are before they come here so this is an annual thing it happens every year and it's a water temperature related phenomenon is it it seems to be it seems yeah. to be that it needs to be about 13 12 degrees before they'll come in um i don't know much about the science of them i don't think anyone does um they have they are spotted a couple of months beforehand sort of slowly crawling their way through the heads but i don't know i assume they live out in the ocean yeah and then they, they think they come together they originally think thought it was uh, something to do with their breeding cycle but apparently I think it's just molting safety in numbers. It's fascinating yeah. I wonder where they go, where yeah. do they go afterwards? Has yeah. anyone thought about putting some tracking devices on them and oh. seeing where they end up? <laughs> Big great piece of I research. It would, it would work until they molt it off <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well true yeah. You'd have to do an inter yeah, yeah. muscular. Yeah but very interesting and an amazing phenomenon for Melbourne and uh, I think I mentioned last time the BBC and David Attenborough have come here before and filmed so yeah, yeah, cool. Right, you get get out there and have a look. Um, so you've been to the US. What prompted this trip? Was it just on your list of places to go? Well, I was very fortunate. Uh, I met a, a fellow, Mike Gherkin, fantastic photographer, uh, a videographer last year in Truck Lagoon. Don't want to be name dropping. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he showed me some great footage of uh, wreck diving in North, uh, Northern Carolina and also sharks. And the sharks are on the wrecks. So I thought, wow, two great things together. Um, and luckily I had a conference. I do diabetes research uh, when I'm not diving. Uh, I had two conferences in Europe and another one in America and right in the middle was this fantastic uh, organised shark wreck shootout and it was on the Crystal Coast in North Carolina and it's an area that during World War II the U-boats would patrol up and down there and cause a great deal of mayhem and as a result there's a lot of wrecks there's also a lot of artificial reefs and then the what they called sand tiger sharks or what we call grey nurse sharks um, 
come in and swim all through the wrecks on top of the wrecks and just amazing. The yeah. sand tiger sharks and grey nurse, are they the same species? Yeah. They are, right. They are actually the same, yeah. So, um, they, and I think they're also called ragged tooth. That's another name for them. Okay, yeah. but it's the same. Yeah. So they, they're the same, you know, they, they, the, in the embryo they, they have uh, cannibalism, so they all the... Uh, one top dog eats all the others and wow. all that sort of cool stuff. <laughs> so is it dangerous diving with this species of shark? No, not no. at all. No, there's never been any reported so, um, of, uh, of people being attacked by the grey nurse or anything like that. And how big do they grow? Well, is it intimidating yeah, diving with them? it is intimidating because they get really close. I mean, some of my photos, I had a wide-angle lens on and I could almost, I could actually pat them at times, I could touch them. Um, but, you know, the teeth look really incredibly uh, gnarly and scary, but they're absolutely harmless. However, I will say that there was a, a great white um, spotted there a couple of days before I arrived, as well as a hammerhead shark. We also got to see bull sharks and uh, sandbar sharks, which I'd never seen one of those before. So. What are sandbar sharks like? Oh, they've got like a really large dorsal fin and they look a bit like our what we call a whaler, I suppose. Oh, okay. But I've never seen one before. I imagine they must only be in that area. So. Um, long time ago, I dived with grey nurses up at um, Byron Bay, out mm. at Julian Rocks. There was a resident great white, uh, not great white, um, grey nurse. I don't know if it's still up there. Yeah. But they are, are amazing. And, you know, your, your instincts tell you, oh, you know, scary looking shark, the raggedy teeth. Yeah. But then they, they are just the most docile things. They just kind of cruise around and look at you and go about their business. They're not interested. No. no. We, we had quite a few that we saw that had uh, traces in them from fishermen. Uh, and one had a very large hook in the corner of its mouth and with a big weighted sinker hanging out in its oh. whole mouth. And it was like, oh, my God, this poor thing. And it looked quite thin. Yeah. Um, but Mike uh, from the Trip actually uh, managed to get his arm around the um, around the neck of the shark, if you call it the neck, uh, and grabbed it and pulled the hook out and off it swam. Oh, cool. oh so it was so exciting. I, unfortunately, I just was too slow on the camera to get a photo. But <laughs> with sharks, um, I'd heard at one stage there was this. I don't know whether it's just a um, uh, a theory or an idea <laughs> that uh, the because most sharks have got two dorsal fins and. The, the comment that I heard was that if the front dorsal fin is significantly bigger than the smaller one at the back, it tends to indicate a more aggressive type of temperament in the shark, whereas if you've got two dorsal fins that are about the same size, which is the case with grey nurses and other like white tip reef sharks, the other sharks that kind of tend to cruise around and do their own thing, that they tend to be more, you know, not as interested not yeah. as aggressive. Okay. Have you heard that before? I have heard it. I mean, it might be something to do with how they swim and being like major ocean going, whereas the grey nurse are interesting. They can come up to the surface and swallow air and then they can just cruise around sort of mid-water, unlike, as you would know, that many other sharks have to keep moving to mm. stay alive. So, so yeah, they do have the fin. But, yes, I'm not sure, but it could be something to do with the fact that they're either ocean going or cruising around on the bottom. And what was the dive scene like in North Carolina? Oh, it was, it was good. There was a couple of dive boats. It's beautiful. It's called the Crystal Coast. Big, long um, sandbanks and um, lots of fishermen, lots of uh, beach houses, very relaxed environment. Um, the diving was, was good. It was about nearly one and a half, two-hour trip out to the outer banks 
you did have shorter trips closer and um yeah it was very well organized great crew you know you have to tip everything of course <laughs> and what's really the water? sorry what's the water temperature well the water temperature is interesting because although it's um it's a southern southernish state but it was only obviously the start of their summer but they get this gulf stream and so it was 24 degrees uh, Celsius, which was very oh, nice. nice. Oh, you know, lovely. that was like five mil wetsuit, no hood, and warm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was actually warmer than I was expecting. So I was like, oh heaven. Yeah. So it would be the equivalent of maybe northern New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about that with the grey nurse sharks. I thought, well, you know, we used to see them at Bermagui and, and places like that. So I thought, yeah, it's kind of, it's probably at similar sort of temperature. Yeah. yeah. So what's a quick diving report in terms of you back in Melbourne now? Are you going to be doing? <laughs> you're coming from that down to what is it now? About 12 or something yeah 12 degrees um yeah so i've actually got to teach a rescue course next saturday and that's like many many hours in and out of the water so that's my punishment for (laughs) for being away Um, but i have heard the visibility i think is getting a little bit better i know there was some terrible weather while i was away um and i think uh, well obviously today with low swell etc they'd be good going outside the heads and uh, you know the wrecks or all the nice um, shallow reefs outside would be good cool hey thanks terry no worries. Thanks for coming in. No problem. Thanks for coming all the way in too. <laughs> Thanks for the traffic uh, report to get my, get my way here on the way in. Yeah, if you missed that at the start of the show, corner of Nicholson and Blythe Street is um, it's a bit of a, a construction zone at the moment. They're doing all sorts of works out on the road. So we'll uh, have you back in in a few weeks' time. No problem. It'll be great. Thank you. Thank you. Terry Allen, Radio Marinara's own dive reporter. And... Am I right to do this now? You sure are. Okay. We're Look, doing a wetsuit we're review. We're doing a wetsuit review, and uh, first of all, I'll establish the parameters of the review. Um, I'm only doing um, winter wetsuits, and I've done this in a very scientific fashion, Bron. I asked all my mates in the car park <laughs> what was their favourite wetsuits, what do they wear at this time of the year. And I, also I think in the marketing game it's known as a focus group, yeah. so you've kind of, you know... <laughs> I asked a couple of guys out in the lineup yesterday and I got some good results. But look, let's, let's go back to basics. You have to wear a wetsuit at this time of the year because the water temperature is dropping fast. It's 12 in the bay, it's probably down to 14 in the oceans. It gets down to about 12... Uh, in July, August, that's when it's really cold. And it probably will be cold this year because we had a very cold autumn and the wind, well, up until recently, the winter's been quite cold. So, first of all, you're going to be hit with a whole lot of... If you're going into a a surf shop, you'll probably be hit with a whole lot of jargon. So let's explain the jargon first. A 4-3 wetsuit, it refers to the thickness of the neoprene. So in summer, we'll wear 2-2s, which is 2-mil body, 2-mil arms, Spring. I'm glad you clarified and that. And autumn is a 3-2. Right. I just pictured you all in 2-2s. Nah. <laughs> well, that's quite funny, bro. It's <laughs> very good. I'm going to drift off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, but at this time of the year, we're wearing 4-3s, 4-mil body, 3-mil arms. And the reason for that is you want to keep your body warm, but you want the flexibility to be able to paddle and thin and the is more flexible. Then you get to, do you want a sealed suit or an unsealed suit? And what that means is to have they... Um, Sealing is basically a, a strip of neoprene that's glued to the seam. On the inside? The, inside or out. Okay. The best ones, I think, are inside sealed. Mm. And they provide a lot more, uh, th- well, basically, less water gets in, less water gets in, the warmer you are. And then we go to 
to zips. What sort of zip do you want? Do you want a back zip, which is the old traditional one? That lets in more water. You can get a chest zip, which is a zip that's about, I don't know, 15 centimetres long across your chest. Let's in less water, but it's harder to get in and out of the wetsuit. And recently Ripcurl have come up with a a no-zip, which I haven't tried. I've heard good things and bad things about them. It's very difficult... Um, particularly if you're over 50, to get into and out of some of these wetsuits. I know mates that that will not surf alone because they need someone to peel them out of their wetsuit. <laughs> and it's really getting the arms in and out. Once you're in, you're really warm. Can I go back to the chest zip just for a yep. second? Do they make it uncomfortable if you're surfing, no. if you're actually lying? No, because no. you're not actually ever really lying flat no. on the board. The, the zip's quite high up. Yep. And, and it is. It. I would recommend them. Okay. highly recommend them because... Just less water gets in. Right. And the less water gets in, the, the, the warmer you are. Can I just ask Terry, because she's still here, which is great, because you, you'd be all over the diving equivalent of these wetsuits. W- what are diving wetsuits like these days in terms of suits, uh, in terms of zipping and how that all works? Yeah, well, they, have the, they do have the back zips. They do have the uh, chest zips, or they have the middle zips. Um, and also free divers, which that's very popular now. They have the really sort of crushed neoprene, but theirs is the same. They want it as tight as possible. And getting in and out of it, they actually put... Um, um, uh, like detergent, they put mm-hmm. soap and they slide. They literally slide into it. Okay. Which I imagine surfers probably do as well. Sometimes. Yeah, I don't think we're that far advanced yet. I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> seen talcum powder. Maybe it's not tough enough. <laughs> yeah. One. The other thing that you'll find now, and this is where um, these marketing terms come in, is that they have a layer of what one of my mates calls. You've got to have the Fakari rug. <laughs> which goes back a long way, but it's, it, it's like a layer. Forward, isn't it? It's a layer of of material, like a, a fleecy material, that's around your chest right. and abdomen, and that stays relatively dry, and that can keep you really, really <laughs> warm. So, if you see the Fakari rug, you've got to go for it because it really does make a lot of difference. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of brand um, information here. There are an, quite a number of brands and prices. If you want a top-of-the-line wetsuit, you're looking at anything from $650 to $800. So this Oof. is big money now. It's They're, more than my car's worth. Well, it's certainly <laughs> a lot more than my surfboards are worth, right. and that was never the case. Mm. But they're very expensive now because they're far more, I guess, technologically advanced. There's really there's one, two, three, four, five, six brands on the market at the moment, the, and um, the top two, according to my poll, are Rip Curl and O'Neill. Rip Curl are the local Torquay brand. They started in 1969. They started making wetsuits about 1970, 71. They've been in it a long time. Rip Curl wetsuits are very good. O'Neill is the equivalent of Rip Curl in the States. They're from Santa Cruz in California. Started in 1962. Exclusively surfing wetsuits. Again, very, very good. And the third brand, I'll mention two other brands. third brand is, is a lower price option called XL, and they make a suit called a dry lock. And I've had a dry lock for three years, a very, very good wetsuit. For the first year that I wore it, if I wore it with the hood, I could had the weird sensation of duck diving under a wave and coming up completely dry. Hmm. No water would get in at all, hmm. which, was, which was nice. Hmm. So um, I'll just go through a, a couple of the... The, the brand names that you should look for. If you're interested in a, in a top-of-the-line wetsuit, the Rip Curl has a model called the Flash Bomb 4.3, zipless or chest zip. 
And these are the ones that dry very, very quickly. And at this time of the year, believe you me, there's nothing worse than getting into a wet wetsuit mm. at about 6.30 in the morning <laughs> in the Terry's rain. Terry's going to with that. <laughs> so if you can find a wetsuit that dries quickly, and this is where the Fakari rug technology comes in, <laughs> that helps the wetsuit dry quickly. Do you wear and boots? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got five mil boots on. And it, gloves? Yep. Yeah. Although the water's not... I actually went in without a hood yesterday. It's oh. actually very pleasant, yeah. particularly when it's 17 degrees and sunny and there's hardly any wind. Do you yeah. get ice cream headache, though, from the water? No. No? no not yet. Although, but the weekend before, when it was very, very windy and we had those beautiful swells, particularly the Monday, you needed a hood because mm. it's the wind. Mm. I think 30% of your body heat can get stripped out of your head. Mm. So... So, uh, Rip Curl, Flash Bomb 4.3, that's the top. The next one down is called an E-Bomb. Very good wetsuit. Um, you're looking at probably 4.50 for that. O'Neill, similar price, 650 for what's called a Psycho. Uh, O'Neill have a larger cut. Uh, they're made in America for larger Americans, so they fit people like me quite well. Uh, the next one down is called a Pyrotech. And, look, I'll finish off with a... With a I guess it's an outlier in that it's a different marketing strategy. This is uh, the company called Patagonia, who are an adventure company from America. They make wetsuits that they claim up at least partly recyclable. The point about neoprene is that it is not recyclable. It, it comes from oil. They've got a, a compound called Ulex, which comes from plants. And their wetsuits are 60% Ulex, 40% neoprene. Does that make them still not recyclable, though, because of the new neoprene component? Yeah, look, I think that's a good point. Could well be. However, they, they market their um, wetsuits on temperature, water temperature. So if you're in Victoria, you're looking at a water temperature between 12 and 18 degrees, it's an R2. If you want a, a wetsuit for 8 to 12 degrees, it's an R3. But they are significantly more expensive. You're looking at $800 for the top-of-the-line Patagonia suit with a, a hood Wow. Put in. But I think the main point is wetsuits are very, very good. And, and really, you can't go wrong. They've come a long uh, way. They've, they are very, very good. Compared to what we used to wear in the 70s, they're just magical now. <laughs> and what price warmth? I mean, yes. if you're warm, you're going to go surfing. That's Whereas right. If you, yeah. And what, how, does that, how do those prices compare to diving suits? Oh, that's cheap. Right. <laughs> oh, diving suits are probably, well, I mean, they're five to seven mil and they probably start at about seven or eight hundred. Wow. Yeah. How many seasons do you get out of a diving suit? Mm, yeah, I can get quite a few depending on, you know, how, how much you go diving. I, I just use a dry suit now mm. and I can just vary what I wear summer and winter. So the dry suit I can get four or five years out of. But, you yeah. know, you have to change the seals. and the. There's a zip called a T-zip, which is very interesting, which I don't know if it's gone to surfing yet. Hmm. Hmm. The most I've ever got out of a wetsuit is two years right. because I surf a lot. So it's become a significant investment. Thanks, Dr. Surf. Pleasure. Thank you, Terry. No problem. Thank you, Dr. Beach. He had to scoot. He's gone to the footy. <laughs> He's gone to, to the footy. To watch his son star in the footy field. Thank you, Kent. He's been panelling for us today. He'll have this show up as a podcast. We just would be nowhere without Kent. So thank you very Thanks, much. Kent. Hey, on next week's show, Angeline and John are going to be in. It's also the Recklink Community Cup oh. next Sunday. 
put it in your diary because it is the uh, is one of the highlights of the year for a whole bunch of reasons. You already know what that is because you're already listening to Triple R. But um, the megahertz looking mighty fine. Is it on at Elston Week again? Mighty fine. It is on at Elston Week Park. So we'll give all those details next Sunday in terms of how you can get down there. But uh, look, it's the, it's the usual lineup, the usual times, and uh, for the for a wonderful cause. So stick that in your calendars. The, yes, the megahertz looking mighty fine. We're having our final training this morning and. Go the mighty megahertz. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for radiotherapy and we'll catch you next week. See ya. See you. Bye for Bye now. Bye. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.